I want to dive into, uh, into the scripture this morning, into this thought, as I was praying a few weeks ago about, God, what would you have engineered for us this morning? The Lord kind of deposited, dropped into my spirit this idea, this thought of divine pivot points, divine pivot points. And so we're going to turn in just a second to Matthew chapter 6, not that you necessarily need to turn there because you'll know the scripture uh, from the Lord's prayer. But I want to unpack this idea of, of how God loves to insert himself into situations. And, and when we're going on one direction or one trajectory, all of a sudden he, be, he zips into the situation and all of a sudden things from, hinge from one trajectory or one direction, all of a sudden begin to shift directions and trajectories into a different one. And uh, several years ago, I did a study on the, uh, on the a word study of the word suddenly. And several hundred times in the New Testament, we see this word suddenly used where God, uh, Jesus, shows up on the scene, and when he does, everything uh, changes in an instant. Um, and so we want to unpack that for a little bit this morning, because I believe if you're here this morning, and if I were to ask for a show of hands of how many of you have an area in your life that maybe your career feels stuck or on pause or maybe a relationship issue or a financial need or a health diagnosis. And there's a, there are these areas of our lives that we work really hard or we try to position ourselves in these areas where we need God to move in and to step in and to change our situation. And if I were to ask you this morning, would you raise your hand? I'm not going to do that. I think many of us would raise one hand or maybe two. I know I would. We all need those areas of breakthrough where we need God to to formulate some sort of a, of a divine pivot point. But I do want to turn our attention to Matthew chapter 6 for a second, uh, where in the Lord's Prayer, God says, I love to do these divine pivot points so much so that when Jesus is instructing his disciples and his followers on how to pray, he says, I love to do these kind of things so often that I'm actually going to teach you to begin to ask for this on a regular basis. And in the Lord's Prayer, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, we find him saying this. He says, thy kingdom come. This is how you should pray. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, what does that mean? What God is saying is, I want you, Jesus is telling his disciples, I want you, I want all of us to begin asking God, would you use me, would you use me to bring into alignment, into recalibration, the things that are out of whack here on earth that need to be aligned with heaven? Now, how many of you know there are a few things on planet earth that are out of whack? Just a few. You watch the news for longer than five minutes, we'll see those things often, don't we? And God is inviting us. He's asking not just to ask the Father for these divine pivot points to happen, but he's saying, God, would you use me? Would you use us to be a part of what you're doing in creating these pivot points in our own lives and, in, and for those around us? And, it, and uh, my friend Richard, who spoke last, uh, with you last year on our first anniversary of the, of the partnership, I love that anniversary reference, he said, uh, Trinity Grace has got this amazing line that they use, and I hope I get this right, that we're asking or we're joining God in the renewal of all things. Did I get that right or close? And I love that prayer because that's exactly what Jesus is instructing us to pray here in Matthew chapter 6 is, God, would you use us in the renewal of all things? But before we dive in this morning, I do want to ask us to pray just for a second together. And I, and I say this because as a pastor, as a, as a congregant, I've grown up in church, and I'll often, if I'm being super vulnerable and super honest, 
I know none of you are like this, but I, I often am, is I'll get swept away into the worship and experience uh, God in a tangible way during worship. And then when someone gets up to speak, whether it's my pastor or a guest uh, like myself, all of a sudden, and I'm just being honest here, being vulnerable, my mind begins to wander onto the football game at 4.05 or maybe where I'm supposed to meet somebody for lunch or all the to-do, any to-do list people in the room here this morning, and you begin to make those lists down. And often if you see my message notes in my journal on my iPhone, all of a sudden there's a task list on the other side of that. And so I'm gonna ask you if you would this morning as we bow our heads for a moment of prayer, just to still our hearts and ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, would you speak to us this morning just in a posture of receptivity? Can we do that together and let's bow our heads and pray. Father, this morning, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you that, uh, Lord, you don't give up on us. In fact, you are invested intimately in the work of our lives. And that, God, you care about those things that are happening in our lives, so much so that you came to earth out of the glories of heaven to invest your own personality and power in the mess in which we live so often. Lord, we thank you not just for leaving us here on earth and preparing a place for us in heaven, but Lord, we thank you that you came to earth and that you are inviting us into the renewal of all things. Lord, I thank you for this church family. I thank you for what you're using them to do both in this city and around the world. Lord, we pray that you would speak to our lives and give us courageous hearts to respond, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Well, in a previous life, uh, about 20 years ago, I know I don't look that old, but I am, uh, I served as a, as a youth pastor. I came out of uh, seminary and uh, started in ministry, and uh, back in those days, the bottom rung on the ministerial ladder was uh, youth ministry. And uh, so I got placed at a church uh, pastoring 5th, 6th, and 7th grade students. Do we have any middle school teachers in the room? Anyone? We have one, a couple of people. Um, thank you for the work that you do. Um, you are underpaid and underappreciated. Um, I think there will be a corner of heaven where middle school uh, teachers or pastors or workers will just be partying like there's no tomorrow um, because there is no sorrow in heaven. And, uh, and uh, it was one of the most richest experiences of my life. Uh, of my life. And I'd always been in, uh, involved in overseas, overseas missions work as a uh, teenager myself. And so early on, uh, the Lord placed this desire in my heart to take these, uh, these kids, these students, on a mission to, 10-day mission to El Salvador. And I was thinking five or 10 kids would you know, respond and do all the fundraising and all the preparation for it. We had 50 kids that uh, signed up for that trip. And so after several months of raising money and discipleship preparation and visas and all those logistics, we find ourselves in San Salvador for 10 days. And if you've ever been in the developing world on one of these trips, you know you usually don't sleep particularly well, usually don't eat particularly well. And this funny thing that your digestive system doesn't usually work particularly well. And, and oftentimes you'll, you'll get sick. I'm making it really sound awesome to go on a, on a missions trip, aren't I? Um, and so we're nine days into this mission trip, and uh, we're doing these, we, we had set up this church service on this uh, dusty dirt street corner. It was basically this corner of the, the city on the outskirts of town where they had uh, 
just bulldozed a building, and it was just this big flat pile of dirt, no curb, no lights, nothing. And the missionary had set up this little church service, no chairs, no lights, no stage, anything. It was just this little amplifier with a CD uh, player and one central microphone. And so we got up and we did these human videos. Is anybody old enough to remember when human videos were a thing? So what it is is just a, a bunch of people kind of acting out, miming a skit to a song. And in this particular case, it was several American teenagers poorly acting out the words to a, to a Christian song, American song translated into Spanish. It was, it was bad. It was really bad. And uh, we, for nine days, we did this in public schools. We did it on street corners. We did it in church services. And they attracted groups of people. And I think all the students thought, like, wow, we're amazing. All these people are coming to watch. And it really wasn't that it was awesome. It was really that it was pathetic. And it was just awesome people watching. Like, who are these people and what are they doing? And so in this service, we uh, did this human, series of human videos. And I think just people just, like, blank stares, like, you know, kind of like a, just a weak smattering of applause. And uh, then the missionary came up and gave this, uh, this message. And then at the very end, he, he invited people, if you'd like to receive healing or if you uh, are sick and you'd like prayer, we'd like to pray for you. And if, if so, if you would, just so our American friends know how to best pray for you, would you put your hand on the body part that you need healing for? And, uh, and so they did. And so these American teenagers who are prayed up and filled with the Holy Spirit begin to magnetize around these people and just pray down the fire of God um, for healing. And uh, being the man of faith and power that I was, I was exhausted after nine days of interpersonal conflict and sickness and all of the kind of fun things that go along with leading a trip with that many people. I was like standing in the back corner just supervising the prayer time. And uh, I really just wanted to get through it, get back on the bus, and get back into the hotel. And, uh, and so things began to kind of wind down. And uh, out of the corner of my eye, I saw this young man kind of hobbling down this uh, dirt street and didn't really think of anything about it until he was right next to me. And I looked down, and he was uh, crushed up against uh, on this uh, metal walker that had kind of been rusted out. You could just tell it had been uh, years old. And he was kind of hobbling, and I realized, oh, he's here for this, like, this service. And uh, uh, the, the missionary noticed him and said, hey, would you like for us to pray with you? And, and he said yes, and so he kind of hobbled to the front. And as he walked past me, I realized, I looked down at his leg, and his leg, no exaggeration, was just uh, so tangled and mangled, uh, it almost looked like a corkscrew. And I did kind of so much so that I did this like double take and I said, whoa, and I just kind of shuddered at it because it looked so horrific. Um, and I thought, oh, this, this guy wants prayer for healing. I thought, this is about to get real, you know, like, wow. And, uh, and so as he walked to the front of this area where people were being prayed for, these teenagers begin to circle around him and just begin to unite and pray for him and with him. And it was, I don't know if you've ever been in any of those situations in a prayer or worship time or maybe a Bible study where there's something just changes in a second. It's like a, a, God flips a switch on in heaven and there was just like this, felt like this waterfall of God's presence just come down in a powerful way. And I thought, wow, something is happening. And as the prayer time kind of got louder and more fervent, um, people began to kind of press in, and I couldn't actually really see what was happening until after about five or ten minutes, 
all I saw was the bottom tips of this kid's walker pointing straight up in the air. And I thought, that's weird. And then I heard this collective gasp, like, <gasps> and all of a sudden I saw the tips of that walker kind of begin to circle in this, like just in a circular motion. I thought, that's even weirder. And then all of a sudden I begin to see it kind of move up and down. And at that point, there was this volcanic eruption of clapping and cheering and crying and laughing and just all of this emotion said, I, I got to get through and see what's going on. And, uh, and all of a sudden, I saw this kid begin just to run in circles. And I looked down at his leg, and I, I kid you not, if I had not been there, I would not believe this. His leg had been made completely straight. So much so that I looked at the other leg just to make sure I didn't mis 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 mismatch the legs, and the other leg was completely straight as well. And I just st stood in that moment, and I thought, God, you are phenomenally great, and you can do immeasurably more than I can ask or think. But let me ask you, what, what happened in that moment? In that moment, God performed a divine pivot point. The trajectory of that young man's life had been altered forever. God had showed up and he had showed off. And we see this all through Scripture, don't we? These moments where God intervenes and intermediates and transforms the situation from what it was to what it could be. But in almost every situation, whether we find in Scripture or in our own lives and the culture around us, these people have made their way to Jesus. This young man later, I found out, had hobbled his way almost three miles to get to this service, and he almost missed the prayer time. He made it right in time before we had packed up and left. But God takes the investment of what we have, and he combines it with his supernatural power to, provi uh, to provide these divine pivot points. And so as we look at this, uh, the pastor I work with in Washington, D.C., Mark Batterson, often says this. He says, we need to work like it depends on us, and we need to pray like it depends on God. That's the commission that the Spirit of God has invited us into this morning. We don't perform the miracle. We're not, we don't do it. It's not up to us, but we do have a, a role to play in it, don't we? God responds when he sees the need, when he sees the investment that we make, and then all of a sudden he comes in the middle of it and says, hey, it's my turn to take over. And when Jesus shows up on the scene, all bets are off. Anything can happen, amen? And so this morning, before we move into the second part that I want to talk to you about in the Philippines where we're seeing a divine pivot point happen, I want to pause here for a moment and I want to ask you, what pivot point do you need in your life? Is it a physical healing? Is it a financial need? Is it maybe you're single and the, the loneliness of life just feels overwhelming? Maybe it's the pace of life. I don't know what it is for you. But I'd love to pray with you just for a moment if that's okay. And so if you would, would you bow your heads with me just for a moment? And if you're here, whether it's some sort of massive need or you might think it's pretty small God cares about it all he doesn't just care about kids with crippled legs he cares about every need and every situation that we have and so as I lead us in prayer would you lift your 
spirit with me this morning and would you invite the spirit of the living God into whatever situation you face this morning and let's believe together as a church family that God will show up and show off in this moment. Come on, let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you aren't just able, but God, you're willing. You care about every aspect of our life and you're trusting us to come to you and ask. And so this morning, we ask you, God, from the front of this auditorium to the very back, Lord, I pray for each person who silently in their heart this morning is elevating a need before you. God, someone with a back problem or maybe a, a relational need, maybe someone who's facing a financial need to this week that they are just overwhelmed by and needing you that came to this service believing for you to speak hope into that situation. Lord, in this moment, God, would you flip a switch in heaven? Would you intervene into the mess of our lives? And God, would you prove yourself real? Lord, we ask you for those things. We believe you for those things. And this morning, we give you praise on credit in advance for what you're doing even now, in Jesus' name. And if you believe that, would you say aloud, amen. Thank you for praying with me, and I'm, I'm believing that the Lord will continue to bring those divine pivot points in our lives. I challenge you, if you have one of those today or this week, to share that with someone else in your church, and let's thank God collectively for what he's doing. So I want to encourage you to continue to lift those things to the Lord this week that you have in your own personal life because he cares for us. But I also want to invite your attention this morning to uh, the needs in our world that he cares desperately about as well, where there are staggering needs that seem, uh, where help seems to just really be out of touch and out of place. And the second pivot point really is this area uh, in the Philippines that uh, we refer to as human trafficking. There are more people today, and many of you will know this, there are more people today living in modern-day slavery than at any time in human history, more than 40 million people. Um, and your church has partnered with an international justice mission to combat uh, a sector of that trafficking in the Philippines. I'm going to talk to you just for a minute about that in just a second. But in, in case you're unfamiliar with IGM or its work, uh, International Justice Mission is an international an NGO that is dedicated to protecting the poor from violence in the developing world. Uh, we're the largest anti-slavery trafficking, human trafficking organization in the world. We've got 20 offices in Africa, Latin America, India, and Southeast Asia. And uh, there's some different case types, I think, on the screen on the, one of the slides that you'll see in just a second. Um, but this morning, I'm happy to be with you because, as Pastor Derek mentioned to you, today is what we call Freedom Sunday. And this morning, this morning, there are 4,000, I'm going to read this to make sure I get it right, 4,000, or 5,342 churches, 5,342 churches in 51 countries who are celebrating Freedom Sunday and the heart of God for justice in our world. And I've got a, a picture, I think, that's on here, a, a church in, uh, in uh, Ghana. They sent this to me this last week. Um, they cheated and had Freedom Sunday a week early. We told them that it was okay. Uh, but where they're having their Freedom Sunday is on the banks of Lake Volta, which is one of the largest man-made lakes in the world where almost it's estimated 15,000 
children have been trafficked to work in the, in the fishing industry there on the lake. And so the, you see the boat in front of that sign. One of those boats is actually one of the boats that uh, a lot of these little children, that some of which you'll see in this uh, picture here, are actually modern-day slaves. And so I love that your church, that all of us in the family of God, more than 5,000 churches worldwide are coming together this morning to say, God, would you invite us into the renewal of all things? Uh, and so I want to thank you for your, your participation in that. Uh, your church family has been, in particular, working with IJAM to fight human trafficking uh, in an area that we call cyber sex trafficking, where children are exploited online for profit. But the good news is this morning that the church of, of Jesus Christ is taking the lead. It's not governments, it's not corporations, it's the church. It's churches like yours that are standing up and taking the lead and, and facilitating a divine pivot point in the world around us. And to be specific, your church is working in the, in the country of the Philippines. And just for a second, the, the country uh, of the Philippines has been a hotbed for sexual uh, cyber sex trafficking and sex trafficking in general for decades. And back when IJAM had heard about this and, and found out what was going on, when we were beginning to just start operations in the Philippines, um, the UN, the World Bank, many different organizations uh, had some data points on what was kind of estimated as, as how widespread this issue was. But when we came, first came to the Philippines, we did a prevalence study, a baseline study, to kind of figure out how bad the problem really was so we could see what kind of impact we were making as we went along. And what we found out was that the problem was so much greater than anyone had ever anticipated, so much so that there really, really weren't any other organizations on the ground doing the work. One, because it was so prevalent that it had just become accepted by society, and the government itself didn't actually know what to do and had kind of given up. And so we began work in the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Some of you, many of you have heard of them. Came alongside and said, hey, we'd like to do a four-year project with you in the Philippines to see if this model will actually work. And the foundation basically said, we'd like to see you uh, achieve a 20% reduction in the number of minors that were available or sold for sex. And so that was the goal. And so we began operations. And as we begin to uh, conduct uh, rescue operations with the local police, as we begin to uh, apprehend these criminals and begin to prosecute their cases in court, as the national justice system began to work with us, um, we, be, we begin to see a, a huge pivot point happen in the Philippines. And we knew that things were changing because a lot of the brothels where these young girls were, were sold on a daily basis were beginning to close down. But, but when the Gates Foundation, after four years, came in and did a, a privately held study, uh, we, we were praying, Lord, we'd love to see more than 20% uh, reduction. But I'm here to tell you this morning that after four years, when the data came back, it showed a 79% reduction, a 79% reduction in the number of minors sold for sex. And we were overwhelmed. We were, we were kind of pinching ourselves like there's, wow. Thank you, thank you, Jesus. And so we quickly took the, the same model and began to work in, the, in Manila and the cities of Papanga. And after seven years in, in uh, Manila, we saw a 75% reduction. And in Papanga, after four years, we saw an 86% reduction. It's just overwhelmed by God's goodness and God's people who had begun to see a divine pivot point, the renewal of all things in the country of the Philippines. But what we quickly learned was that the sex uh, 
trafficking industry wasn't ready to just close its doors overnight. And so what happened was with the rise in the accessibility of the internet, these brothel owners begin to take their business underground and on the web. And all of a sudden we begin to see this evolving trend of this casework that we call cyber sex trafficking or the online uh, sexual exploitation of children. And if you're unfamiliar with that, and it's a heavy, heavy topic, as Richard shared with you last year, but what happens is that uh, there's a brothel owner, or often it's a parent in the developing world who will uh, uh, trade finances. Basically, somebody usually from the Western world will pay online over an electronic platform. And over online, they will give instructions to this person in the Philippines who will then, on a laptop, on a webcam, will perform some sort of sexual abuse to this child live streamed over the web for this person in the Western world to watch. And as it's become this growing trend over time, the, the federal government in the Philippines just didn't know what to do and they really couldn't seem to solve it. And so IGM stepped in and began to partner with, with local law enforcement to begin to really tackle this issue. And so just a couple of years ago, we began this work and Trinity Grace has been a pivotal part of this. And all of a sudden we begin to see another divine pivot point. And, and it's been amazing because when we begin to look on the dark web, we saw that the children who were being abused were much, much younger, often between the ages of five and 12 years old. We've seen infants though abused as well. And we begin to see that because pedophiles didn't have to fly to the Philippines, they could do it in the safety and comfort of their own home in the Western world that the abuse began to ratchet up to become multiple times a day, many times for these children. And so we kind of got in and began praying, we began working, we began partnering together, and we begin to see God begin to turn the needle. In fact, when I talked with Evelyn yesterday, I said, Evelyn, you gotta give me the latest stats. I'm coming to Trinity Grace tomorrow, and I know they wanna hear what, what's happened in the last year. And she said, I don't have data just in the last year, but I can tell you in the last six months, we've conducted over 38 rescue operations with local law enforcement, and we've seen over 250 children rescued that are now in, in shelters and homes uh, funded by IGM and its partners. But that, those stats can only go so far, and I know our brains are just overloaded with stats on the news and in data points all the time, and so I wanna tell you a brief story before I close this morning about a real child with a real story. His name is Marco, and I think we'll stick his picture up here this morning. This is Marco, he was eight years old when he was rescued two years ago, or three years ago. And Marco was allowed to go to school in the Philippines, but outside of school, he had to go straight to school and straight home. And outside of that, he was confined to the little family compound, the little house that he had, was not allowed to leave. Uh, his little crowded neighborhood had become one of the largest hotbeds for a uh, cyber sex trafficking network in that neighborhood. And, um, and in his case, Marco, uh, Marco's mother was the facilitator on the ground. She had a webcam and a laptop in a closet, and she earned money by several times a day abusing Marco, his two-year-old daughter, and several of their young cousins multiple times a day for profit. And these children were exploited in images and videos broadcast online to customers in 19 different countries including the United States, the UK, and Canada. Literally, the worst of the world was coming to Marco's home, and he was completely unprotected. Until in, uh, in February 2015, 
uh, the Philippines authorities got a tip from the British National uh, Crime Agency. They had discovered more than 4,000 pictures on this laptop of the 73-year-old Irishman. And they begin tr tracing these pictures back to the Philippines. And all of a sudden, IJM came in. They asked IJM to come in and to work with them in the Philippines. And they begin to trace those pictures and the IP addresses and all those different things back to Marco's neighborhood. And for six months, IJM worked together with the Filipino uh, National Bureau of Investigation until on a August 15th, uh, rainy Sunday morning, Freedom Sunday just like this. Uh, authorities entered into that house, collected evidence, and rescued uh, Marco, his little two-year-old daughter, and several of his cousins. They arrested his mother and began to, and we moved uh, Marco and the, their family into a home for abused children. Today, Marco and his sister are free, and while they miss their sister, they're doing well. Um, and there's some pictures of, of them up here on the screen for you to see. The reality of this is while Marco is free, there are literally thousands of children like him who are praying for their freedom to be here on earth as it is in heaven. In their own words, in their own way, they're crying out to the Father, asking for the renewal of all things. And I know this is a heavy topic. This is not the kind of Sunday morning pick-me-up message you, may, you or I may want. But it is amazing how God doesn't just show up into the mess and the, the heaviness of our own lives, but as God performs his radical acts of tra transformation in our world, he then invites us and asks us to be a part of the heaviness and the mess in the lives of others. And so this morning... Uh, toward the end of the service as we close, we're going to invite you to become a part of that work together. I know many in this church are already doing so, but maybe for those of you who aren't, this morning your heart is tugged, your, the Spirit of God is whispering to your heart, it, it's time to become involved in that. I want to ask you to respond to that as we give you an invitation in a moment. But this morning as we close, I'd like to just in a moment of prayer ask you to bow your heads with me. And on this Sunday that we call Freedom Sunday, it still blows my mind that there are 5,000 plus churches on every continent outside of Antarctica that this morning are joining together and asking God, Lord, would you make your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven? And with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, would you lift up your spirit and your voice with me in joining those 5,000 children of God and saying, Lord, would you use us to see this unbelievably violent and cruel crime, human rights epidemic, whatever you'd like to term it. Lord, would you, would you realign earth with heaven? Come on, would you lift your spirit with me? Father, this morning, Lord, we thank you that we celebrate the freedom that we have, not just as a country, as free people here in the United States, but even the freedom that we enjoy because of the blood of your own son, who on a cross 2,000 years ago purchased our freedom with your blood. Lord, this morning we pause to say thank you. Oh, come on, would you thank him for a moment? Lord, we thank you for your great love for us. 
We are not worthy. God, you loved us not because of us, but in spite of us. And this morning we stand here broken areas of our own lives, but resurrected beings because of your renewal inside of us. Lord, I pray that you would bring that renewal from the inside out. And that for children like Marco and his young sister, that God, you would allow us to see a glimpse of the grief and the pain that you experience as you see these scenes paraded across that monitor in heaven over and over and over again. And today you're inviting us to be a part of that realignment, to be a part of that renewal. Lord, would you speak to our hearts this morning? Would you give us grateful hearts for what you've done, but courageous hearts to be a part of what is yet to be? Lord, I thank you for this church family and for what you're doing here in New York City and in the Philippines. Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name.